0: Okay, we're in chapter 13, I think it is, yeah, uh, the chapter on discipleship. I uh, want to try to get finished with it this week. Uh, I don't know if we get into the next chapter some today or not. We'll see how it goes. Uh, we don't have Sunday school in July. And uh the last Sunday of the month is Prayer Sunday, so I only have this Sunday and next Sunday to try to get to a decent stopping point <laughs> uh, uh, than to have a, a month gap in it. So, I don't know, we may end up stopping in the middle of a chapter next, uh, next week and then having to just review, which I do anyhow, uh when we start back uh, in August. <laughs> Last week we started dealing with the subject of discipleship. And, you know, I, I pointed out, you know, it is pretty much a buzzword in, in Christian circles. You know, everybody's talking about discipling people. And, and yet, so much uh, so-called discipleship isn't what real biblical discipleship is, in, in, is intended to be. I'm afraid that a lot of discipleship, uh, what they call discipleship, is teaching people how to act like they're a disciple rather than become a disciple. And there's a drastic difference. And, you know, in teaching people how to act like a disciple, uh, generally, it's really geared more towards the old Adamic life. And, and, you know, we're Telling people you need to do this and do this and do this. Because if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, you're going to have to do, 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 do these things. And true discipleship does result in doing, but it is an outflow of our being. Who we are becoming is something that flows from the discipleship relationship. Now, I pointed out uh, last week, you know, that a disciple is a learner, but he is someone who is following and being shaped by his teacher. And to be a disciple of Christ, we have to bear in mind the realm in which Christ lives and moves. Christ is not moving in the realm of the old man. He's not, you know, uh, operating in that realm. He's operating in the realm of the new. And until we learn how to live free from the old and free to the new, we are not really going to be in a discipleship relationship with him. Now, again, the difference between doing and being. I used the example last week, and and I just said, you know, if you go back and you study the life of Christ, and you look at his disciples, how many times did they do the right thing? (laughs) More times than not, they said and did the wrong thing. Did that cease making them disciples? No. No. Because it was that relationship they had with Christ that made them a disciple. Now, when they followed Christ beyond the grave into this new realm, we find those men were transformed. But it was a relationship with Christ that transformed them. It was not their transformation uh, and actions that gave them this relationship with Christ. We really have to get the order right. You know, there'll be things in Scripture in the New Testament where it says, they will know you are my disciples by this. And so we say, well, if we do that, then we'll be his disciple. No, it's saying, if we really are in this discipleship relationship with Christ, this is what ultimately is going to come to pass as he transforms us. Now let me just run through a few slides, get us back up to where uh, we're at, and then I'll try to finish the chapter this morning. But, you know, we start out with Stanford defining discipleship in this way. He says, a disciple is one who first maintains fellowship of the cross, which results in fellowship with his Lord. Discipleship. What does he mean by fellowship of the cross well let me throw up this second statement the atonement of the cross and the fellowship of the cross must equally be uh, preached as a condition of true discipleship you know the atonement of the cross is what every believer thinks of That Christ died for our sins. He canceled our sin debt. But what does he mean by the fellowship of the cross? Well, it's the fact of coming to that realization that while Christ went to the cross alone to die for me, he took me with him to die to the old realm. And until I come to fellowship with the cross in the sense of embracing the cross as what frees me from the old and frees me to the new, I'm never going to be able to have a real discipleship relationship with Christ. Now, as I pointed out last week, many think, well, if you're saved, you're a disciple. No, there's a difference. Discipleship goes beyond simply being born into the family of God. It is a relationship where we are embracing what the cross has done to free us from the old. We're embracing the new life we have in Christ and we're learning to live and follow Him in that new realm in which He is going to uh, transform us. So a disciple must begin to understand the dual aspect of the cross, that second aspect that's often overlooked, and begin by faith to embrace it. He said, Christ is the answer, but the cross is needed to clear the way for him. And he said, nothing can set us apart for God, nothing can make us holy, except the cross is working in us. Because the cross alone can keep the hindrances of holiness in the place of death. The cross is so necessary. Not just to deal with the sin debt, but the cross is necessary to deal with us. And to set us free from who we are in Adam. Adam. He went on, we saw this one, nowhere is our Lord Jesus more explicit and firm than when he mentioned discipleship. And what did he say? He said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and follow me. And whoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So he said, unless you're willing to embrace the cross, you aren't going to be able to have a discipleship relationship with me. And he said, the reason for this is simple. Self cannot and will not follow Christ. Our old Adamic life, our self-life cannot follow Christ it can try it can put on appearances but it will not become a true follower of Christ because self will not deny self (laughs) you know self is going to be uh, self focused it may you know Try to do things for Christ but it's not doing things in Christ and through Christ And so he goes on to further define a disciple as one who is free from the old and free from the new or he says in other scriptural words dead unto sin but alive unto God What's that? A disciple is one who is free from the old and free for the new. I mean, we can read. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. A disciple is one free from the old and free for the new. (coughs) My spelling or my grammar checker caught me on that one, so. In other scriptural words, dead unto sin, but alive unto God. So, he says the important thing is how, you know, we've got to understand what it means to take up our cross. And he started out last week, we saw how not to take up one's cross. <laughs> and he said, Christians need to understand that bearing the cross does not in the first place refer to trials, which we call crosses. But the daily giving up of life of dying to self, which must mark us as much as it did the Lord Jesus. He says, you know, oftentimes believers uh, are going through a difficult time, and they're saying, well, I just have to take up my cross. He said, that's not what Scripture's talking about. He's talking about taking, you know, on a daily basis, taking our place at the cross. Leaving that old man at the cross. Dying to the old. And living to the new. So he says may we cease to confuse the words a cross with the cross. Would that we would lose sight of our cross in his cross. It's his Then, and this is important, his cross becomes our cross. I begin to see, you know, myself sharing the cross of Christ. His cross becomes my cross. His death becomes my death. His grave, our grave. His resurrection, our resurrection. His risen life, our newness of life. But it's all in Christ. And he is my focus. He is my life. He is my source of everything. So he says the believer's cross is the cross of Calvary. The cross on which Christ was crucified. The cross we share with him. Every believer is thereby freed from all bondage. But every believer is not aware of this liberating truth. And that is incredibly sad. Many a believer goes through his entire life never, ever, ever knowing the liberating truth Of the cross, knowing that it, you know, uh, being confident that it paid the sin debt, but knowing nothing of the liberating aspect of the cross. So they struggle day day after day after day after day after day when freedom is there. When I was in Ireland, I did a message one time. I, I entitled it The Salvation Package. And I used some props and things. I had this gift, you know, this package. And I, you know, it had salvation on it. And I talked about how believers get this package, this, this wonderful gift. And so many kind of put it on a shelf and admire the fact that they have this gift, but they never open it. And they tell others about this wonderful gift you can get just by accepting it. And they go through life and they struggle and they cry out to God and they're asking for answers. And they're never opening the gift that they put on a shelf. One day they'll get to heaven and they'll finally open it and they'll find out everything they have needed was always there. And so I'd take that, I had a big box, and I'd take that box and open it and start taking things out of it. And of course, one of the things of the birth certificate, we all are familiar with that part of it, we're born again. But something else that's in there that many believers don't see is a death certificate. A death that frees us from the old if you haven't come to see the death certificate that comes with your salvation, you're never really going to live in the freedom you have over here. You're always going to feel in bondage over here. So he says, the sad to say, the only believers who are interested in freedom are those who have come to the place of hating instead of hugging their chains. You think, oh, how, you know, who on earth would hug their chains? A lot of believers hug their chains. They're things that, that they hold on to. Hatred, bitterness, guilt. Guilt. Different things like that, you know, they won't let go, they don't want to let go of it. He says, until we come to hate those chains, we are not going to be willing to embrace God's answer and His freedom. We want to say, I have every right, you know, to have this chain. He says it's when you come to hate those, that there, there's a, you're coming to a place where you're willing to embrace God's answer. Now this next quote is an incredibly important one. Because it explains a lot. And it was about this point we got to last week. And uh, we'll move forward here from here. It's true that the intellect is stumbled by the cross. Yet the antagonism to the cross is mainly moral. What does he mean by that? Well, yeah, we wrestle some in our mind with how it's possible that we are, were crucified with Christ. Yeah, we struggle some you know, intellectually with this, just like the unbeliever does at times with Christ dying for them. So he says, yes, there is some struggle intellectually. But he says the main antagonism to the cross is moral. It's what it says. What the cross says is that I, apart from Christ, is, are, am Irreparable. That I can't be fixed. That the best that could await who I am apart from Christ is a cross. I want so hard to believe there there is something, as bad as the old might be, there is something redeemable about it. Surely it can be patched up. Surely it can be fixed. Surely I'm bringing something into my relationship with Christ that is, uh, is valuable. And the cross says, no. It all needs to be left at the cross. God doesn't want any of it. I've said it many times. And, and But I'll keep saying it because you know, some of this we just really got to get in our mind, but we're told all the time, God wants us to give our life to him. No. He wants us to embrace, embrace His life for us. Our life stinks. Our life needs to be left at the cross. He wants me. He wants you. He wants your person. And He wants to give His life to you to be lived out through your personality. I read a chapter last week, I won't read it again, but any of you who have the larger book, read chapter 39 if you weren't here last week. Incredible, cha- uh, it's a one-page chapter, but it explains an awful lot. But he says, the antagonism to the cross is mainly moral, both to the sinner, in the sinner and the saint. The reason unbelievers reject Christ isn't because... It's so complicated how to become saved. It's because they do not morally want to accept the fact that somebody had to die to cancel their sin debt. They want to cling to the fact that they may not be perfect, but surely they weren't that bad. And the saint struggles with the same thing when it comes to the Christian life. Because it's, he says, for it, it is a uh, its message is only welcomed by those who desire freedom from the bondage of their sins and who hunger and thirst after the experiential uh, righteousness of God. He says the divine way via the cross for spiritual emancipation is just as infe- uh, offensive to the child of God as the divine way of salvation is. To the lost he says, "We'll be ready to take up the cross when self becomes intolerable to us, when we begin to hate our life and hate." And he just quotes uh, excerpts from uh, Luke 14:26, "He who hates not his own life, cannot be my disciple. Again, the world is telling us the opposite. You've got to love yourself. I'll tell you, for me to grow, I had to come to the place where I really despised what I am apart from Christ. And I still despise what I am apart from Him. And I told my students many a time, I am scared to death of what I am apart from Christ. I thank the Lord. Probably several times a week for the fact that he has given me a very different life than myself would have given me the route self would have taken me on would have been a very destructive route. And probably harmed a lot of people rather than letting me be a part of God healing people and maturing people. And I think, God, I don't deserve this. But you've given me this privilege. And it's only the cross that frees me from what I am apart from him. It's only the cross that frees me to, you know, be, move into a whole new realm, a realm of life. Rick, can I just, yeah. can I share something that's very practical and like touch? Wherever you open all this. I'm not really emotional, so I do One time as Rick's telling you this and about his, how terrible it's Mm-hmm. self is uh, when we were younger one of our very best friends she was telling me we had got them to get together when we were on bible school they've been married like 50 years like we have now so it's good but early on she says to me you know Janelle, my husband really likes and she, she made a certain part of a women's physique that he liked, woman's body. And she said, I see him looking. And she said, but I know Rick would never do that. So I told Rick that. I said, you know, she said, you would never do that. He said, don't think that for a minute, Joe. Please don't think that. Pray for me. Pray for me every day. Pray for me not to do those things don't dare think I can't run through and that's the reality for all of us isn't it we're all the same we're all the same place, and then it's what we do with it. Mm-hmm. now we're kind of picking up at this point and you know he says you know what I just read? He says, we will be ready to take up the cross when self becomes intolerable to us, when we begin to hate our life, and hate not his own life, cannot be my uh, disciple. And he says, the deep burden of self and hunger to be like him caused the function of the cross, crucifixion, to become attractive. It comes to the point where we're willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to accept the cross. If that's your answer for dealing with the old, if that's what's going to set me free to truly have a discipleship relationship with your son, I'm willing to accept and embrace it. He says, the long, devastating years of abject bondage make freedom in the Lord Jesus priceless. The cost becomes as nothing to us. Think of it. We begin to share the attitude of our Lord Jesus and of Paul. For the joy that was set before him, the Lord Jesus patiently endured the cross. Hebrews 12.2 The attitude of the Apostle Paul became, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6.14 And then in Philippians 2.5 Let this mind or attitude be in you which was also... In Christ Jesus. We begin to glory in the cross. Our very own freedom from all that enslaves us. From all that would keep us from fellowship with our risen Lord. So we begin to take up our cross. Our liberation. Our personal finished work held in trust for us. So long and patiently by the Holy Spirit. He says, talk about your trust fund. And here's where we come to something, again, significant. And here is how we take up uh, and bear our cross. He's been telling us how not to do it. How do we do it? Well, he says, finally, prepared by our needs... Aware that our bondage was broken in Christ at Calvary. You know, we're well aware of our needs just from our daily lives. Where we become aware of our bondage being broken in Christ at Calvary through the word. And seeing what it has to say. He says... At that point, we definitely begin to rely on that finished work. We appropriate. We come to that point where we say, Lord, I cannot measure up to the Christian life. I don't have that ability. But I thank you, Lord, that Christ Dealt with that. He dealt with the old man there at the cross. And he has opened the door for me to have a living, breathing relationship of fellowship with him, which will produce over time the results that the Word describes. You know, people ask, well, what about the imperatives in the New Testament? And because there are imperatives there, and my my answer is, and I I believe this is the reason for them. I say, you know, you go back to the Old Testament and you have the Mosaic Law. And for 2,000 years... The Jews believed that the law was given to them to enable them to live righteous lives. That if they did this and this and this and this and this, they would be righteous. Then Paul comes on the scene. He says, That wasn't the purpose of the law at all. He says the purpose of the law was to be a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And I think in heaven a lot of Christians are going to look back and they're going to find out that the the imperatives in the New Testament are nothing more than a schoolmaster to bring us back to Christ. That we look at those imperatives and we try to strive to achieve those imperatives, but we fail. And hopefully we come to the place that Paul came to in Romans 7. You know, we cry out to God and we say, Lord, the, you know, the good I want to do. Those imperatives you tell me to do, I can't do them, Lord. And the evil I don't want to do. Those imperatives that say, don't do this. I'm unable to avoid them. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. See, those imperatives brought Paul... (laughs) To the place of embracing Christ as the answer to his day-to-day life. To living up to those imperatives. If I make the imperatives my focus, I, I, I guarantee you I'll be living back over here. When I make Christ my focus, it changes everything. So he says, our attitude becomes, I gladly and willingly take by faith in the facts. And again, chapter 1, the chapter on faith, says that biblical faith is based on facts. Our attitude becomes, I gladly and willingly take by faith in the facts. What facts? The facts of what God says in his word. My finished work of emancipation that was established at Calvary. I consider myself to be dead to sin. And alive to God in Christ. I say Lord I'm going to take you at your word. That my relationship with sin is dead. And now I'm alive to a whole new realm. Can I say what I've said many times, but there's always new folks coming and going, and I never know who's heard it and who hasn't. But when we define ourselves as nothing more than sinners, we're basically in a sense calling God a liar. We came to the cross as nothing more than sinners. We left the empty tomb with Him as children of the Most High God. We left the empty tomb with Him as citizens of the heavenly realm. As I said, I guess the Lord taught me that when I was in Ireland when I decided to do a word study of the word sinner. Starting in Romans one, and going through Jude, and finding out that every form of that word only appears six times in all the New Testament epistles, three of them clearly with unbelievers, three in a more neutral It depends how you take it, but twenty times were sons, something like fifty four times were children, one hundred and thirty five times were brethren forget how many times we're saints all terms that tell us that we had died to we, what we once were and we're now alive to something new now the old sin nature still alive and kicking it's been crucified but I've died and I need to see myself in that light and after I did that study, I ran across an article in, in BIBSAC, uh, which uh, a theological journal, and it was entitled Are We Saved Sinners or Saints That Sin? And it's an important distinction. People say, Well, what about Paul? Paul uh, said he was the chief of sinners. Paul said Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. He's saying I was at the front of the line of those who needed to be saved. But I have yet to see Paul open one of his letters. Paul the sinner uh, uh, to the churches. Paul always when he addresses the churches addresses him on the basis of his new relationship to Christ. Paul the apostle, Paul the servant, Paul this, Paul that. You know, never Paul the sinner. Because he came to see that he had died to the old and was alive to the new. He says this is taking up one's cross. And he says, as we learn to do this, we begin to find these facts true in experience. The more I begin to see myself as having died to the old and being alive to the new... The more my focus is in this realm, rather than trying to fix what's over in the old realm, beginning to learn uh, what I am and have and embrace what I have in the new, the more that happens, the more it changes me. He says, the Holy Spirit brings that finished work of death and applies it to all of the old nature, which is thus held in the place of death, the death of Calvary. If and when we turn from the facts and begin to rely on anything or anyone else, including ourselves, self is released from the cross, active and enslaving as ever. Now, again, I've made the distinction. Again, this came out of a word study I did, looking at things that are said to be dead and things that are said to be crucified. And the old man is never said to be dead, but he is said to be crucified. He's held in a place of judgment. He's held, you know, in a place uh, leading towards destruction. He's held on the cross. But I can still let him influence me. And go back, read the, the crucifixion account. Christ and the thieves are crucified and yet they aren't dead yet. They will die, but they aren't dead immediately upon crucifixion. The old man is always seen as being crucified. Never is the old man said to be dead. We are said to have died to it. Our relationship with it being severed. But it is seen as crucified. That's why I have it up here week after week after week after week trying to get that in your mind. It's crucified. So why listen to it? Why try to fix it? Trying to fix it is like somebody showing up at a crucifixion with a makeup kit that's going to try to make the guy hanging on the cross look better. That is stupid. (laughs) And yet, that's often what we're doing. He's saying, Christ, I mean, the scriptures say, the old man's been crucified. You've died. You as a person have changed identities. You are no longer a child of Adam. You are now a child of God. Don't listen to the old Adamic life. Listen to your new life in Christ. Embrace your new life. He says, through this process, we are patiently taught, what? To walk by faith. To maintain our attitude of reliance on the finished work of the cross. Day by day by day by day. I put my confidence in the statements of God. Almost every morning when I begin my prayer, I thank God that I am a child of His. That I am a citizen of heaven. That this world is no longer my home. And my prayer is, Lord, I want to live like a child of the Most High God. I want my citizenship to to show. I want to reach the potential I have in the Lord Jesus. I want to constantly remind myself. You know, Paul talks in, in the opening verses of chapter 12 of Romans about being transformed, how? By the renewing of our minds. I think... If we get up in the day, and in the morning, and we say, Lord, help me not to sin, I'm still seeing myself in this realm. If my prayer is, Lord, I want to live like who I am in Christ, we're starting out with our mind in the right place. A renewed mind, though, takes constant reminding. Because the world, which we also died to, but if, I don't know if you've noticed it, it's still alive. It's still kicking. The world will keep trying to tell us things, but we've died to it. Our relationship with it has been severed. Formerly we were dead to God. We had no relationship with him. Now we are dead to sin. We are dead to the world. Our relationship to it has been severed. He says, Adolf Sapphire wrote, he must have written before World War II because nobody would have given a son his na- that name after World War II. <laughs> but, but Adolf Sapphire wrote... The narrow path commencing with the cross, you died with Christ, ending with uh, the glory of the Lord Jesus as a path on which the Lord draws near and walks with his disciples. Christ liveth in me. The Lord within lives as the sole source of life. The old life, I mean the old I, has no contribution he can make to the Christian life and service he can never be harnessed to do uh, to the purposes of god death is his decreed portion there cannot be two masters in our lives if the old i is an active uh, possession is inactive is an active possession of us then christ cannot be but if we gladly take hold of the fact of redemption i've been crucified with christ Then Christ, by his Spirit, takes up the exercise of the function of life within us and leads us as his bond slaves, disciples, in the train of his triumph. I just challenge you to really think through this chapter. Because if you truly come to the place of entering into a discipleship relationship with Christ, he will change you. He will transform you. You cannot walk hand in hand with him, day in, day out, year in, year out, without him changing you. His heart will become your heart, his mind will become your mind, and his ways will, little by little, become your ways. And it will flow from the relationship. It won't be something you put on externally. It will be something that flows from within. Now, next week we build a little on this in the process of discipleship. I'll probably make an attempt to get through the whole chapter uh, since we're going to have to pause after that, but we'll, we'll just see how that plays out. Uh, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for the cross. Lord, it's not something we like to think of, Uh, We don't like to have to think that uh, we were so sinful that somebody had to die for us. And Lord, we don't like to think that even our life was so uh, worthless that your answer was to nail it to the cross and to give us something new. Lord, may we truly gain renewed minds. Renewed minds that transform everything. May we come to see ourselves as you see us, children of the Most High God, citizens of heaven, saints, as your very temple. Lord, so many precious terms you use of us. May we see ourselves in that light and come to see sin as an unwelcome presence. in our new creation life Uh, Lord I do pray for the service ahead of us the time we are able to sing praises to you but then Lord as our brother Jerry uh, concludes his two part series Lord just use him to be a huge blessing in each of our hearts and lives for it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray Amen